This is Hayden, an OG fan and listener of Scandal Water. Where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. And hello to our special guest. <laughs> hello <laughs> to Scotty. He's been woken up from his nap by Henry, who took his spot, so he's now on my lap purring. We don't know how long it'll last, but just enjoy the ASMR while it does. That's right. Yes, it's very soothing. Yes. Well, Scotty, you have joined us for a very cool episode. Yes, he has. Because our topic today is a person who I believe is, I'm not even sure what the term is. This is like a mega star. A multi-hyphenate. That's right. I'll start with this. One day, it's probably been, I don't know, a month ago, you sent me a quote. It said, mm-hmm. failure is like touching a hot stove. It teaches you not to touch that hot place again. However, failure only wins if you stop cooking. Yeah. And we both love that idea, mm-hmm. but tell them who said it, Ashley. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. And Tyler Perry has been in the news recently, quite a bit actually, yeah. because there is a documentary. Oh, coming, that's right. Yes, mm-hmm, yes. A documentary for Amazon Studios that is coming out soon. It is about his life and his impressive career, and it will be called Maxine's Baby. The reason it's called that is because his mother is was Willie Maxine Perry. Sadly, she passed away in 2009. Mm-hmm. But according to a press release, the movie will serve as a, quote, profound lesson on remembering where you came from to know where you want to go. Mm. And in making this documentary, they said that Tyler Perry gave the directors, quote, unprecedented access to chronicle his story from his inner world to fatherhood to life as a media mogul, as mm. it's never fully been told before. Interesting. I'll be looking forward to seeing that. Yes, yes. I'm really excited about this. In fact, we are recording this on October 26th. And mm-hmm. if I recall correctly, I believe it's on October 27th that there's going to be a sneak preview oh, somewhere. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. And it's going to be coming out on Prime Video November 17th. Okay. So we've got that to look forward to. Now, our theme this month as you guys know, is tenacious to a T. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we are focusing on four celebrities, four famous people who have all shown an incredible amount of resilience and tenacity. And so with this theme in mind, Tyler Perry just seemed like a perfect choice. He's a natural fit. Yes. And and you, of course, you are more familiar with Tyler Perry than I am. Tell me, why, why was it that he came to your mind immediately when we were trying to think of... Well, I knew a little bit about his troubled background, probably not as much as you're going to tell me, but I knew that he had overcome 
a lot, a lot of poverty. And he started off writing plays, which I'm always drawn to people who are creative in the playwriting sphere. And I've seen several of his plays and really Mm -hmm. enjoyed the messages and enjoyed how he presented his characters and his plays and and that kind of stuff. So I originally, when I made up the concept of a bucket list, like I've never had a bucket list, but I thought I'm going to make a bucket list. And at the top of my bucket list is one day I went to hug Tyler Perry for being, (laughs) you know, giving me so much inspiration as a playwright. Nice. Well, I'm going to confess that I knew of Tyler Perry, of course. I mean, how could you not? And I'd seen him in a few different things. For example, Gone Girl. He's he's an incredible actor. Mm -hmm. But I really was not nearly as familiar with his career and his work as I would have liked to have been. I think when I think of comedy, I am drawn more to things like romantic comedies and situational comedies. I've never been one who went for kind of really physical comedy or like the Jim Carrey type comedy. So I haven't seen, I hadn't seen a single Medea movie. Mm. Now in researching this, I've done a little bit of a deep dive. Mm -hmm. I've watched a Medea movie. I've... Did you watch any of the plays? No. I okay. did not watch okay. a play. Are, okay. they, are they on YouTube? Um, I don't know if they are or not. They might be, but we've got a DVD set. Oh, okay. I watched one of his films. I went and watched an episode or two of the series, The Have and Have Nots. Okay, I haven't yes. seen that. Is it good? So I feel like I now have a flavor. It was really interesting. And, and I think it was nice that I saw a range mm-hmm. of his works because mm-hmm. it kind of helped me look Give a fuller for, picture. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And to also see where the commonalities were. So I now have a much better appreciation, I think, of him professionally but what I really came out of this episode with was the deepest admiration for this man as a person I am so impressed with him personally Mm -hmm. he has amazed me I'm excited to to talk about him Mm -hmm. in this episode I'm really glad that we chose him as a topic I will say that the man as you all probably know had a very traumatic childhood he he went through a lot so I do want to put a little caution out you know a listener discretion that we're going to hit on some topics of Mm -hmm. of abuse yes Mm -hmm. it's going to be it's going to be hard to talk about or to think about but this is what this man lived Mm -hmm. and so we want to honor that Mm -hmm. and we'll go ahead and and we'll jump on in let's do it yeah so when I started to research Tyler Perry right away I saw so many articles that started to come up and interviews I I actually got to see Tyler speak so many times in these different interview clips especially on Oprah he spoke a lot Mm -hmm. with Oprah Mm -hmm. but while I was seeing all these different sources talking about his trauma and what he'd been through, I was surprised to discover that he didn't actually really speak publicly about all the details of that until 2010. Oh, after his mom passed. After his mom passed. And what he said was, this was in an interview with Oprah, quote, she suffered so much horror in her life surviving breast cancer, the abuse from my father, the belittling, the beatings, and I just could not be a source of pain. I knew if I spoke about this that she would be hurt. So I didn't. Yeah. And I respected him for that Mm -hmm. too because that had to take so much Mm self-control for him to hold back and Mm -hmm. not speak about it until after his mother was gone. Now, a Today Show article shared that in October of 2009, he'd actually felt compelled to write a note to his fans on his website after seeing a screening of the movie Precious that he had executive produced with Oprah Winfrey. And the story of Precious is about a 16-year-old girl who is physically and emotionally abused. And what Tyler shared was that watching it caused a lot of these traumatic memories mm-hmm. from his childhood to surface. And so in that note to his fans, he wrote, I always thought I would die before I grew up. 
But he went on to say that watching Precious helped him to realize again that he'd survived it. It made Mm -hmm. him kind of celebrate Mm -hmm. the fact that he was a survivor. So when his mother, Willie Maxine Perry, passed away a few months later on December 8th of 2009, he shared with Oprah in his 2010 interview that he felt this tremendous sense of, quote, now it's time for me to take care of me Mm -hmm. and get some of this stuff out of me and be free from it. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. And so since that 2010 interview, he had has shared many details about the physical and sexual abuse that mm-hmm. he had suffered when he was young. And he, you know, he's spoken openly about it many times in an effort to heal not only himself, but also to help others. So I, I do want to pause for just a second and make sure I give credit. I've used a lot of different sources, but Oprah Winfrey was a huge one. All mm-hmm. of these personal in-person interviews and also articles mm-hmm. that came out in O Magazine or some different sources. But let's talk about... Tyler's childhood. He has literally called it a nightmare. He was born Emmett Perry Jr. on September 13th of 1969 in New Orleans, and he did have two older sisters and a younger brother, but according to Tyler, he felt like his father always hated him, like from the time he was born. He was the scapegoat. That's how he felt, yes. Emmett Perry Sr. was described as being an abusive alcoholic who worked as a carpenter or a construction contractor, depending on the source you looked at. And according to Tyler, Emmett Sr. was a man whose answer to everything was to beat it out of you. Mm. He's giving me Ike Turner Mm -hmm. vibes right now. Yeah. Tyler said that his mother, Maxine, was also beaten and threatened by his father and that she did try to leave him one time when Tyler was very young. One day she packed up the children into a Cadillac and she drove to California to try to escape. Yeah. But Tyler's father reported the car stolen and his mother was arrested. Oh, no. And then they were driven back to Louisiana by Tyler's uncle. And Tyler says his father beat his mother the whole ride home. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Tyler commented that his mom was a passive person, which made it really hard hard for her to stand up against her husband or to leave him. Plus, Tyler pointed out that Emmett Sr. had a job. He brought the money home. He was a provider. And so Tyler acknowledged it made it really complicated, but it left him open to constant fear and abuse. Mm. He said in a People interview, I don't think I ever felt safe or protected as a child. Oh, poor baby. I know. It was just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. That... One of my favorite quotes from him in one of his plays is he said, there are two places that you should feel peace in your home and in the grave. Mm. And that to me gives so much nuance to Mm -hmm. his feeling of that because it sounds like at least in his childhood, that is somewhere he did not have peace was in his home, which is why it became so important to him. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. He said that it came at him from all sides in terms of his father. It wasn't just the physical beating. He shouted at him. He called him names. It was everything. He said, quote, from a child, I had always known that this man despised me. I could not figure out why he hated me so. And every action was about his hatred or his disdain for me. Mm. Can you imagine feeling like that as As a child? Yes. I mean, talk about the very opposite of protection and valued and wanted. So 
Again, I heard him speak firsthand, telling stories to Oprah. And one of those stories that I heard him share was how Emmett Sr. would play mind games with him. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, it was awful. He said that his bedroom door had panels in it with the top two being glass, but there was this break that kind of formed this little round hole. And so Tyler shared that he would be in his room thinking he's got privacy. He's alone. He actually has some peace and solitude. So he might be reading or playing and he would look up and see his father standing at the door with his eyes at that open hole. And he would know that man had been standing there for who knows how long, just because he knew how unsettling and terrifying it would be when Tyler finally looked over and saw Uh. him. Yeah, it was, I mean, just like, that's just cruelty. Did he say in these interviews by comparison how he how the father treated the other siblings i tried to find that Couldn't now find mind it. you I, it, you know i did not do some exhaustive oh, sure, sure. search yeah. but i could not find that because i wondered the same yeah. thing i definitely got the impression it was that just it was about worse him. for him mm-hmm. yes i suspect the others did not get off you know scot-free scot mm-hmm. but i i think he definitely gave the impression it was worse for him he told of another time he said one time that his father wanted him to change a tire and his mother tried to help him and couldn't so then his mother called Tyler's uncle over to try to help. He couldn't get it off either. This thing was stuck. He said that the uncle was literally trying to stand on, I think it's the tire wrench, like they could not get it to go. And this caused his father to go into a rage. So his father comes out because he's going to do it himself. And Tyler said, quote, my father couldn't get the bolts off either because they were rusted. He looked up at me and there was a smirk on my face. Oh, no. All I remember is him tackling me. And I remember holding onto a chain link fence so tight, my hands are bloody and he's hitting me. And so in that instance, he tried to use his escape strategy. Something Tyler shared was that when things got really terrible in his childhood, he would try to use his imagination Mm -hmm. to help him. And he would try to go to a place that felt safe to him, a place where he felt loved. And so one of those places was a park that his mother and his aunt had taken him to. And he said, quote, I could go to this park in my mind that my mother and my aunt had taken me to. I'm there in this park running and playing. And it was such a good day. So every time somebody was doing something to me that was horrible, that was awful, I could go to this park in my mind until it was over. But he went on to say that during this particular beating, he couldn't get himself to go there like his Mm. father. Father was in such a rage and the beating was so fierce that he couldn't go to the park in his mind. And he shared with Oprah that that he felt like this experience caused him to black out for three days. Mm. So as if all of this wasn't horrific enough, and I'm just giving a few stories just to kind of share what it was like for him. But Tyler shared that he was also sexually abused by three different men and a woman, all family acquaintances, by the time he was 10 years old. Poor baby. And he later said, of course, reflectively, I didn't know what was going on or the far-reaching effects of it. I just moved through it. He said at the time he believed that boys don't cry you just shut up and move on Mm -hmm. and then he went on to say you know he was very careful to to explain that he knows every person's situation is different Mm -hmm. people react to their trauma in very different ways he would never want to speak for somebody Mm -hmm. else but he said in his case every time he was abused he felt like it left him with something else that he had to carry with him throughout Mm -hmm. his life so for example he knows that you know he had to overcome a very strong distrust of adults or because of his different experiences he would have triggers very specific triggers that that he came to recognize and he would have to find a way to try to work through Mm -hmm. or to deal with those Mm -hmm. triggers as he grew older. But I thought this was so admirable. He told Oprah 
that in addition to speaking about this abuse in order to help his own healing, in order to try to get things out, he hoped that speaking publicly about his abuse and specifically the sexual abuse would inspire other men to speak out about what they had been through <laughs> and begin to heal. Because I think the idea here is that a lot of times it's a, it's such a taboo subject yes. and especially you know, For the men. men will be mm-hmm. very reluctant to speak about it. Not that I'm sure women are very reluctant as well, but I think it tends to be... There's st- more of a stigma. Yes. Statistically, I think men are less likely to speak about it. So in terms of dealing with his nightmare childhood, Tyler really painted a picture of himself as this young, helpless boy who really did not have any resources around him or any any help to get him out of his terrible situation. He did mention a few things that he used personally to help him survive it. We've already said that he used his imagination. In addition to the park where he would try to take himself, he said that he would often, when he could, hide under the front porch of his house and just try to let his imagination take him to a place where he didn't have fear. Mm -hmm. He said, I could escape and be somewhere else, he said. Mm -hmm. Another thing that he mentioned was there were times when he really felt that his aunt, Jerry, would step in to protect him or advocate for him. That's good. Now, she wasn't around all the time. Yeah. But he shared this this one experience where she stood up for him in a big way. And she actually was present at this Oprah show and, and chimed in as well during one of these interviews. Did he say if it was mom's sister or dad's sister? I don't know. No, I don't know that. Okay. Yeah. In this particular instance... Tyler said, to this day, I don't know why he did it, but I remember talking about Emmett Sr., but I remember him cornering me in a room and hitting me with this vacuum cleaner cord. He would just not stop. There were all these welts on me, the flesh that's coming from my bone, and I had to wait for him to go to sleep. When he fell asleep, I ran to my aunt's house and she was mortified when she saw it. So this is where Aunt Jerry stepped in and said that he didn't actually say a word, but he was crying. Her quote was, I lifted his shirt and there were five huge welts Mm -hmm. long and they had lines in them and they almost broke his skin. She said, I got very upset. And so Oprah asked, what did you do? She said, I picked up a gun. (gasps) I'm not proud of the fact, but I did. And I went around the corner to their house. I met Tyler's father on the sidewalk and I pointed the gun at him. So she told him to leave him alone. Now, obviously, this did not last for a long time. But Tyler felt it meant so much to him that she stood up for him in this instance. But the other thing that she did that same day, Aunt Jerry said she told Tyler's mother, Maxine, try never to leave Tyler alone with his father again. And she said, I knew that he couldn't stay there with him. And she took him everywhere with her after that. So Tyler talked about that. That's after this incident, he started going all kinds of places with his mother from Lane Bryant to, you know, wherever she was going, she was taking him along yeah. to tr- as a protective measure. Wow. But this was also one of the reasons why he was so connected to the powerful women in his family. Yeah. You have this mm-hmm. instance of these women who are trying to protect him in the way, in the ways that they are able to, and him living in their lives so much so closely associated matriarchal with matriarchal society yes so this was something that really helped him to develop this incredibly close relationship to the women in his family he said in a 2012 interview with fresh air host terry gross quote my mother who was trying to protect me from him as best she could she took me everywhere with her which gave me a tremendous amount of sensitivity to the things women go through i would spend more time at the laundromat and clothing store than any young boy should in my writing i'm speaking from 
from the little boy who's at her apron, looking up at the world and seeing all that I'm seeing these women go through. Wow. Yeah. So he started to really appreciate the female perspective. Mm -hmm. He also said about his mother that she wasn't strong like his aunt. He said, quote, she was just very passive. She did not have that backbone to stand up for herself. So certainly she couldn't stand up for me. But he didn't hold it against her. He yeah. understood. That's that her that personality. Was, yes. In fact, he adored her. And he talked about that so openly in a 2017 Oprah's Masterclass video, he said that he felt like he had the gift of sometimes knowing how to make people laugh or feel good. And the most important person he always wanted to try to make his laugh mom. and bring joy was his mother. Yeah. Yeah. He said if he could make her smile or laugh by telling a joke or dancing or being silly, that meant the world to him. And he also said in a 2019 People article that he credits his mother for taking him to church and opening him up to a world of deep religious faith. He said, I'm so grateful for that. If I wouldn't have had that, I don't know where I'd be. That was our North Star, the yeah. Bible, faith, and church. That was another place where he felt safe, mm -hmm. where he felt loved. Mm -hmm. And so he really connected to it his gave faith. gave him a foundation. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Things got so bad for Tyler, despite these glimpses of, of love and hope that sadly, there were a few different times in his life when he considered or attempted suicide. And at least once was when he was very young. He said about that experience, because he's been so open, he's talked about mm -hmm. all of it. He's mm -hmm. been so very vulnerable. He said, I thought, what is the point of living? My mother was truly my saving grace because she would take me to church with her. I would see my mother smiling in the choir and I wanted to know this God that made her so happy. If I had not had that faith in my life, I don't know where I would be right now. So again, he gives a lot of credit to his mother, the other strong females in his life, and his faith mm. and his imagination. Mm -hmm. And those three things are going to end up continuing to be so important to him throughout his his entire life and career. Yeah, you wonder how does how does that poor child become who he is today? Right. It's, it sounds like it's through those tenets. They made a huge difference for him. They truly did. This is a man who who can like he comes out of this childhood and it's not like all of a sudden magically everything was great. His right. circumstances changed. It doesn't. No, he faced more struggles. We haven't even talked about this part yet. He was a good student, but he dropped out of high school mm. at 16 after an argument with a counselor led to a suspension. And that the whole situation was just so nasty. He just never came back. Really? Yes. Now he did later earn his GED, but this was a point, this was a turning point in his life. He dropped out of school. I think it was around this time he moved out of his father's house and he changed his name. He did not want to be Emmett Jr. anymore. I bet he didn't. Yeah. He wanted to distance himself from this man who had treated him this way so brutally. And that's when he became Tyler. Now, he worked a huge variety of jobs trying to support himself. Everything from bartending to waiting tables, selling used cars, working as a bill collector. He did everything. At different times, he had to live briefly out of his car because he was struggling to yeah. make ends meet. In fact, at one point he joked about it in Essence magazine saying, can you imagine a six foot five man sleeping in a Geo Metro? He's so big. <laughs> he is, he is. But his life 
started to change when he turned to writing, something for which he gives credit to Oprah Winfrey. Really? I did not know yes, that. Yes. In a 2001 interview with her, he shared how one day when he was 19 or 20, he caught part of her show ah. where she happened to be talking about how cathartic writing could be. He decided he would try it to help with his own healing. He said, quote, I started writing down all the things that happened to me. It was a chain reaction. A different time, he said, it wasn't until I really dug down into writing and started understanding the motivation of characters that helped me to understand my own behaviors. I could untie some of those strings and get to full healing. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. People who experience trauma or trauma survivors, PTSD survivors, they say there is something cathartic about the pen and the paper, not typing it all out, but actually writing it out. There's some kind of connection between your brain Mm -hmm. and the healing that can come from getting it out of you and onto the page. Yes. Yes. Well, it definitely worked for him. And he thanked Oprah very passionately in person. He's, he's, that makes sense about why he's so tied to why he admires her so much too. It's almost like she's become one of those tenants that helped him survive because he's attributing her inadvertent advice to changing his life. Absolutely. In fact, listen to this quote. Had I not seen that show where you said it was cathartic to actually write things down, I would not have started writing. I would not be here to tell you that when you speak, people's lives change. And thank you for being an instrument that God used to change my yeah. life. That's how much credit he gives yeah, to her. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Their, friend, their friendship makes a lot of sense now. Yes. Now, the first thing he wrote was a play. You've mentioned his plays. So that is how he started, obviously. The first play was I Know I've Been Changed. Mm-hmm. And it it was about child abuse survivors. He used $12,000 that he had saved over the course of time. This was like he had worked so hard to put this money together. And using that 12000 he rented a space and he directed, produced, and starred in this play, I Know I've Been Changed, which premiered in 1992 when he was 22 years old. But it was not. <laughs> it was not, not, not an instant success. In fact, now I identify with Tyler. <laughs> He estimated that only maybe 30 people showed up the first weekend. Yeah. He stayed with this production for years. Wow. He continued to tweak it. He designed the set, made programs, hung lights. He sold snacks during intermission. For three months when money was tight, he lived out of his car so that he could put money toward the play instead of the rent. Yeah. But it did not do well. He continued to keep showing this play, but basically people would have considered it a flop or a failure and was something that he addressed. More recently, I heard him speak in an interview where he said, when people will mention his early failures, he doesn't agree. He says he doesn't look at them as failures because every one of them ended up teaching him something valuable. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So he continued to plug away. He would take the show. He would try to tour it. He would retool it. And they said on its seventh staging at the House of Blues in Atlanta in March of 1998. We started in 92. Yes, was when people started lining up. He said, finally, people were showing interest in his work. And here's why he thinks it happened. Something had to have changed in the landscape in the world. Well, something changed with him. What? Here's what he said. Did he bring out Medea? Nope. Nope. She hasn't come out yet. In a People Magazine article, he said, quote, it was about adult survivors of child abuse. Here's the irony in it. It was about an adult who survives their child abuse, who had forgiven their parents for the abuse, and I hadn't forgiven my father at the time. So I don't think it's any coincidence 
that the day I forgave him, not two weeks later, the show began to have success. Really? Yes. It was a big thing for him. He told Piers Morgan in 2012, if you do not forgive, you hold on to this thing inside of you that can change your life and take you in the wrong direction. Now, he has clarified he did forgive Emmett Sr., but that does not mean he was, forgot he agreed to have a relationship yeah. with him yeah he stays away from him he now financially supports him oh he's still alive yes and oh. he has been supporting him for quite some time but he does not have contact with him but he feels so strongly that this forgiveness was huge mm. not so much for Emmett senior but, but for, for him. himself yeah for himself and it was after he forgave his father well you know, Emmett Sr., that he started to build his name, his reputation, and make money with his first play, which then, of course, is going to lead us to Medea. But before we get there, why don't we take a quick break? The holidays are right around the corner, but Scandal Water is already deep into planning for 2024. We start the new year with a five-week month, and we're looking for your ideas for a topic for that special fifth Tuesday in January. Send us your suggestions by December 31st, 2023 by emailing scandalwaterpodcast at gmail.com and tell us who or what you'd love us to brew up an episode about. Cheers! And we are back. So before we talk about Medea, have you seen a lot of the Medea movies, Ashley? I have. I have seen quite a few of them. I haven't seen a lot of the later ones, but I saw a lot of the earlier ones. Yes. Well, tell me, what are a few things that you enjoy about the Medea movies? Um, I like Medea as a character. I like the good part of Medea. Obviously, I don't like her bad habits or her vices <laughs> but i guess that's just to make it a full character with flaws and whatnot but i like how i mean we always are gonna like somebody that's blunt and mm -hmm. like the weezer character or the the dorothy from the golden girls the one that or just the tell, estelle getty yeah the estelle getty the ones that just tell it like it is because mm -hmm. that's not who we are usually and you like somebody that just says what you're maybe thinking yeah i like that well i'll just make this comment as somebody who wasn't as familiar with medea but who had watched it having done a lot of this research on tyler perry i thought it was pretty cool that i could see his threads in there by the time i watched i think it was the 2022 homecoming movie that i watched by the time i saw that i was like i see it tyler perry values faith and mm -hmm. family and you know relationships and I'm like I'm seeing some mm -hmm. of these themes come across in here despite the you know like that we've got all this humor mm -hmm. but we also have these little threads these themes that are rising to the surface yeah. and from what you said about his aunt going after his dad with a gun Medea carries a gun and will often pull it mm -hmm. in situations where she thinks someone in her charge is threatened and that sounds like what he took directly from his own experience yeah well we're gonna talk about that oh okay all right, so here we go he first debuted what I'm sure we all agree is his most famous character, Mabel Erlene or Medea Simmons, who I'm sure everybody knows Tyler himself portrays, which is so fun. She first appeared on stage in the play I Can Do Bad all, all by, by Myself. myself. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen it? Yes. Okay. In 1999 or 2000, depending on the source. And I did not know that Medea is Southern slang for mother deer. Oh, mother deer. I knew it was mm -hmm. my, I thought it was my deer, but mother deer, yes. Now, it's interesting that a few different sources had conflicting reports about who the inspiration for Medea was, but Tyler told USA Today back in 2019 that, quote, Medea is a cross between my mother and my aunt, referring to that same Aunt mm -hmm. Jerry Banks that we mentioned earlier. She's the type of grandmother that was on every corner when I was growing up. 
She smoked. She walked out of the house with curlers and her moo-moo, and she watched everybody's kids. She didn't take no crap. She's a strong figure where I come from, in my part of the African-American community, and I say that because I'm sure there are some other parts of the African-American community that may be looking at me going, who does he think he's speaking of? Mm -hmm. But for me... This woman was very, very visible. So as we said earlier, he spent a lot of his time growing up around strong black women. And so he really had this appreciation for understanding and sharing the stories from a female perspective. He felt inspired by his mother. He said in one interview, my first 10 movies were all about her subconsciously wanting her to know that she was worthy, wanting black women to know you're worthy, you're special, you're powerful, Mm -hmm. you're amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, Medea obviously became very, very popular. Yes, very, very. Although you're saying it's based on his mom and his aunt. From what we're hearing about his mom, I don't see his mom in Medea. I see his mom in the, for lack of a better phrase, the main characters of his film, like the women in peril. Who are... Um, that Medea has to protect kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I mean, you know... Maybe it's some of the wisdom that comes out. Maybe. Maybe know? that's it. Maybe that's a part of his mom. Right. And the firecracker side is his aunt. Is Maybe so. Well, he has a theory about why Medea has been so popular over the years. He commented in one interview that no matter your background, your race, whatever your circumstances, he says, we've all known a Medea type, a politically incorrect grandmother who will say exactly what's on her mind. And while she loves you, she will also put you in your place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so he thinks that's why Medea resonates with so many people around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, she's just kind of got this universal appeal. He also points out what we said a minute ago. There's this theme of faith, family, and forgiveness in all of them, which might be another reason why they have a broad appeal. Very true. Tyler continued to write, act, direct, and produce his own stage shows. And according to a Forbes article, he toured relentlessly, slowly building a strong following among Black Americans, particularly the church-going set. Older women like his mother, who had their burdens to bear and relished the chance to have someone give them a voice. Yeah. And even better, a laugh. Yes. Yeah. He used a lot of gospel music, too, in his plays. Oh, okay. Well, by 2005, Tyler Perry was already a millionaire. Yes, when he, when his plays took start, off, they, took, took, off, they off. took off. Wow. It was crazy. Well, so, you can tell by his the sets in his later works, they got big elaborate. and nice and elaborate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Medea goes to jail. That stage set, there was one side, it was like three-story building. Oh, wow. One side was the house and the other side was a jail. So you would turn it and there was, you know, and he, t- he deals with serious subject matter. Yeah. Really. Serious. He does. I noticed that. As I said, I, I know that I I just kind of had a, a sampling of his mm-hmm. work, but that was something I saw was he's not afraid to tackle nope. the topics that are like right in the news yeah. right then. Right. Well, Medea moved to the big screen that same year that I just referenced, 2005, as a supporting character in the film Diary of a Mad Black Woman. And according to Forbes magazine, the Medea movies would go on to gross six hundred and sixty million dollars although they pointed out there has been some criticism over the years by some people feeling that Medea 
stereotypes black women. Now, Tyler's success has been so impressive. We can't. We can't cover it all. We'd be sitting here all day. But just to hit a few highlights from his career journey, it was in 2001, the first time that he appeared on Oprah. And that happened because she had seen one of his stage shows and been very impressed by him and invited him on the show. And that's how they became friends. And they are super close. Yeah. She's one of his son's uh, godparents. Yeah. Yeah, Godmothers. Now, they not only became friends, they have also collaborated now on projects together. Mm. So they have a a close relationship. In 2006 is when he started his film studio. It's a 330 acre plot of land property. It's called Tyler Perry Studios and it's in Atlanta. It has more than 12 sound stages and it is one of the largest film studios in the world. Now something that he's very proud of is that it is the first studio fully owned by an African-American in the U.S. And Tyler also pointed out in an article for Forbes that this is a site that used to be a place for Confederate soldiers during the war. So he said, quote, I can go outside and take this dirt and put it on my hands and know that there were Confederate soldiers here walking this land, plotting and planning everything they could to keep us Negroes in place. The very fact that I am here on this land, the very fact that hundreds of people, black and and brown people come here to make a living that is affecting change mm. so he, he chose a place that was very symbolic, symbolic. and meaningful to him mm-hmm. yes 2006 was a big year that's also when he debuted his first tv series tyler perry's house of pain which was very popular and ran for eight seasons and just in the past few years has led to the spin-off the pains he uses a lot of the same actors over he's very loyal he does. and he did the same thing that uh, you told us john carpenter did where he puts his name above the project oh good for him yeah 2006 was also the year he published his best-selling book don't make a black woman take off her earrings <laughs> Medea's uninhibited commentary on love and life i have read that did you I did. <laughs> was it great i don't remember i think it was you know it was fun it was fun. yeah well and the projects have just continued to snowball from there we know him today as a billionaire literally a billionaire insane yes who has built, in, they call it an entertainment empire. For sure an empire. Yes, because this man does it all. He's a writer, actor, producer, and director. And kudos to him. He owns almost all, if not all, of the content. He owns it. So he is often referred to as a media mogul and he is one of the world's richest entertainers can you imagine if him and taylor swift oh my gosh (laughs) they'd rule the world did a project together that would would just be it it would be it yeah everyone else go home (laughs) well i just wanted to touch on that so that we could have a little perspective about just how successful this man is beyond our wildest expectations or or understanding or comprehension right okay but to move back to his personal life because because that's the focus of this episode is his tenacity yes and and just his resilience. It was in 2009, as we've said, that his mother passed away. It was very hard on Tyler. He commented in 2019, 10 years later, he said, sometimes I wake up from crying because I miss her so much. Mm. But again, because he was waiting respectfully until she had passed, once she did, he was free to pursue some Mm -hmm. actions that he thought would help to contribute to his own healing. We've already talked about how he started to speak publicly about his abuse, but something else that he did was follow up on a question that had just plagued him his entire life he'd always questioned whether Emmett senior was really his biological oh, father oh and maybe that's why he hated him so much 
In the 2017 Oprah Masterclass video, he shared that even as a young boy, he asked his mother several times, is this man really my father? Because he just seemed to despise him so much. And he said her response would always be something to the effect of, I hate to tell you this, but that's your father. He said he asked her again on her deathbed because he just knew it. He just felt it. And he said she gave the same answer. Was it not his dad? No. After she passed away, he had his brother do a paternity test with him, and the results showed they did not have the same father. So just to be sure, uh-huh. he actually asked Emmett Sr. to do a paternity test with him, and he agreed. And the results showed that Emmett was not his biological father. Wow. And that was something that Tyler said. He wasn't sure why his mother kept that from him. He speculated that perhaps it was because it was a different time or maybe she didn't even know herself. But he said that if he could wake her up to have just one conversation, that's the one he'd want to have. Yeah. And then despite all of that, as we've already said, he has supported this man for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And to go back to this idea of forgiveness, because I think it's huge for him, he said it took a tremendous amount of prayer talking about forgiving Emmett Sr. But the biggest thing that helped me understand it is that me holding on to what I was holding on to wasn't hurting him, but it was killing me. Yep, yep. He said that since he's forgiven his father, he felt a burden lift. And he said, quote, I chose to be as positive and inspirational as I can because I don't want to feel that again. So that's been a choice in his life to try to to heal Mm -hmm. and to try to forgive when he can and to try to turn towards positivity when he can. I wonder if he's going to try to find his real dad or does it just feel like that's never going to happen? I don't remember running across anything like that, but I I didn't look specifically. Yeah. So in 2014, Tyler became a father himself. Mm. He had a son. I think you would pronounce this Eamon Perry with his longtime love, documentary filmmaker Jalila Bikhail. And I think we've already said that Oprah is one of the godmothers. Well, another one that was named was Cicely Tyson, who has since passed. Yes. Now, Tyler and his love broke up in 2020. Oh, I didn't know that. But Tyler has referred to her as an incredible mother, and it Mm -hmm. sounds like they are very amicable in raising raising their son. And Tyler absolutely adores him. In a 2022 Entertainment Weekly article, he said, he is light, he is life, and he's everything that I was as a kid, but surrounded by love. And he also went on to say that his son's presence is a huge motivating factor for him. He said it makes him want to fight to make the world a better place, to fight for our climate. He said it gives me strength to just want to go out and take a sledgehammer to all the things that are wrong with us as a country. He called his son the ultimate inspiration. My goodness. I know. (laughs) So the last point I want to make about Tyler before we go into our armchair is I want to talk about his intentionality about trying to give back and help others because I feel like that's another huge aspect of this man that we haven't really hit on yet. We've already talked about how he financially supported his father. He has used his finances and properties to help other people and other causes, many other causes as well. Just to name a couple of examples, he sent his own plane on at least two trips in 2019 to bring supplies to the Bahamas after Hurricane Dorian. He one Christmas went in and paid 
for layaway items worth over $430,000 at an Atlanta area Walmart during the Christmas season. Yeah. He offered his Tuscan villa in Beverly Hills to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle as a place for them to camp out for a few months with his full security while they figured out where they were going to go after they stepped away from the royal mm. family because they had found out that their security was gone yeah. and they felt very unsafe. Yes, yes. Those are a few examples of, of how he's used his resources to help people. He's also tried to support and give back in other ways. He has been very vocal about trying to affect change for black people through his efforts. He told Variety magazine that one of the reasons for opening his film studio was because, quote, people who are not getting their due need to be in the positions of power from women to people of color. That's what I was doing in Atlanta, building that sense of power for myself so that I can hire more people of color, hire more women, and open the door to diversity. He also has said that he hopes he can serve as a role model for other black people who are coming from poverty or abusive situations in the same way that he did, hoping they'll say to themselves, well, if this guy can do it, so can so I. Can I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to come back to the point we've already made a few times, he's also very conscious of how important people's mental health is. And as we've said, he has spoken out very purposely about his own abuse situations mm-hmm. because he's hoping to encourage other people to pursue to work on their own healing and as a different example he had retired from Medea he had said he was not going to make any more films and he came back with that 2022 movie because he felt like people needed to laugh it was a time when people were hurting Mm -hmm. and he did that almost as a a service I think Mm -hmm. you know like this is something people need right now from the very start He said his shows, he hopes, have always been about inspiring people and communicating positive themes by using his own personal experiences to basically inspire that. He said, quote, that's why it's so important to me because everything I've done, all the movies, there are positive messages in them. I take some criticism for them being so funny or so Christian oriented or whatever, but a lot of the stories that I tell, it's just about people getting healed and moving on. That's just my own experiences that I've put into film and television and everywhere else. And so he said, I don't want to do movies just to do movies. I'd like to leave people with something that would lift them in some way or another that makes them laugh and encourages them in some way or another. Armchair Psychologist. And so that leads us to our armchair with our theme being tenacious to a T. Mm-hmm. I thought I would just ask, what do you admire most about Tyler or his journey? Oh, gosh. I admire his enormous heart and mm-hmm. empathy and for someone who went through just the uh, an abominable childhood his ability to show forgiveness and lead mm-hmm. with forgiveness i mean there there are people that have done way less to me that i'm like i'm going to be mad forever and it's it's just like this makes you reexamine your own grudges that you hold and go my gosh if this if this beautiful person can forgive the heinousness that was done to him, surely I can let go of some stuff on my own. And I feel like there are also kind of two types of people. There are the people that say, I got hurt, so you should have to hurt too. And then the people like him who say, I got hurt, so I'm going to make sure you never hurt the way that I did. And the way he feels about his son, it's like he's going to make sure his son doesn't have a wisp of the experience that Tyler mm-hmm. had as a as a child himself. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean... What's not? What's not to admire about him? Right. I think 
my answer would be similar. Here's a man who literally came from a situation where he had nothing in terms of financial resources and he had very little in terms of feeling safe and loved. Mm -hmm. And yet he has grown into a man who's a billionaire and yet he is so focused on other people Mm -hmm. and helping others others. Mm -hmm. I think I appreciate two things about him. I appreciate how service oriented he is, how much he, not just through his resources and giving people opportunities, but even through his messages and his themes, he is so conscious of trying to spread these positive messages of hope or, Mm -hmm. or inspiration. And I also appreciate how vulnerable he's willing to be to do mm-hmm. it. Like the fact that he's able to share everything, these things that are deeply painful, these things that are just so hard to talk about, and he's doing it, recognizing that yes, it will hopefully help him, but also it like, might help someone it else. It might help somebody else. I just, yeah. I think that's so admirable. Yeah. I agree. Well, I think that makes it really obvious. We're going to say a huge shout out to Tyler Perry. I came into this episode not knowing nearly as much about you as I should have, Tyler Perry, but I'm going to say I am now a huge fan. You'll add him to your bucket list, too. We (laughs) both want to hug Tyler Perry. (laughs) Just hug him and say, you are so loved and so beloved. Yeah. So kudos to you. Cheers. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.